thank you for joining us today. This is Expository Insights with Pastor Lyle Wall. Today we will be thinking about the question, Why the Gospel? as we conclude a series in the Gospel of John. Why John's Gospel? Why the Gospel? Why the Gospel? That's the question we are looking at today as we wrap up our series in the Gospel of John. Part of the question is, why a fourth gospel? By the time John wrote this account, the other three gospels had been around for some years, along with other accounts of Jesus' life and ministry. So, why another one? Why this one? Stretching that a bit farther, why do we have and talk so much about the gospel message? Then, too, there has been a flood of interest in recent years in what are sometimes called the missing gospels, which present some views that are quite different from what we have in the four gospels in the Bible. In short, the answer is God gave us four gospels through different human writers to give us the full truth and picture he wants us to have. Why this gospel? What was John's purpose in writing it? We don't find his purpose at the beginning as we might expect, but as we come to the conclusion. Look at chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Many other signs, miracles, Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Why this gospel? Borrowing the Apostle Paul's words to tell us that the good news or gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The four gospels are not just nice stories about Jesus, not just about principles for living, not just a portrait of God's love. There is much more. John tells us this gospel was written so that you may believe the truth about Jesus Christ. John outlived the other apostles by many years and saw both progress and persecution of the church. As the first century drew to a close, God used him to give us this last of the Gospels. Its audience was very broad. Its message was finely focused. Verse 31 gives us two essential facts about Jesus to believe. The first is that Jesus is the Christ, that is, the Messiah. For generations, the people of Israel had cherished God's promises about the coming Messiah, the one to sit on David's throne, to rule in power and purity. About 520 years before Christ, God sounded good news through the prophet Zechariah. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion! Shout in triumph, daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Then about 400 years before Christ, 
God described the reign of the Messiah through Malachi, another prophet. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go forth and frolic about like calves from the stall. Moving forward, at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry and this gospel, Andrew excitedly tells his brother Peter, We have found the Messiah. This promise of the Messiah was deep in the hearts of the people of Israel. Yes, John was directed by God to write so that Jews and Gentiles alike could know and believe the truth that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. The second essential fact is that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus, God the Son in human form, truly God and truly man. Let me quickly say that we can recite and describe this truth better than we can understand it. It is fine and good to explore, to try to understand as much as we can of this truth that God gives us. But the fullness of it is beyond our capability to understand. Only God fully understands it. We are to accept what we cannot understand by faith because it is God's truth. The deity of Christ is one of the clear, repeated emphases of John's gospel. This was important to him because heresies had sprung up mixing various philosophies and religions of the day into the gospel. For example, some said Jesus was a man, but not really God, while others said he was God, but not really a man. So we see John's repeated statements about Jesus' deity from the opening words of the gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus Christ, the Word, John continued, is the Creator, the source of life and light, and became flesh, became a man, revealing his divine glory. There are the claims of deity in the seven I Am statements Jesus made. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the true vine. And then there is the crystal clear claim of deity in chapter 8, where Jesus said, Truly, truly I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Not I was, but I am. The people listening to Jesus knew the scriptures. They knew that God had told Moses that his name is I am who I am, that name emphasizing his eternal nature. Moses was to tell the people that I am has sent him to lead them out of Egypt. Jesus Christ is the I am. God the Son, who entered humanity to save us. The deity of Christ is essential for him to be our Savior, for us to be saved from our sins. God required a sinless, perfect sacrifice to atone for, to pay the debt of our sins. So, 
If Jesus Christ is not God, but only a good man, even the best who has lived, his death would not pay for our sins. If he were not truly a man, he would not be one of us. So again, his death would not pay the debt of our sins. As John wraps up this gospel, he tells us that he wrote it so that we may believe the truth about Jesus. He is the Christ, the Messiah. He is the Son of God, God the Son, the Savior. John did not say, here are the facts, just believe them. He gave us evidence to verify the facts. God does not ask us to take a blind, ignorant, unthinking leap of faith. He gives us evidence. Go back to verse 30 here in chapter 20 again. Many other signs, miracles, also Jesus performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. In just the last two chapters of this gospel, there is the evidence of the empty tomb and the appearances of the risen living Christ to Mary, then to the ten disciples, then to the eleven disciples, and then to the seven disciples, coupled with his providing them a great catch of fish. As well, let's go back to those few selected miracles included in this gospel. Chapter 2. Jesus turned water into wine. Chapter 4. He healed the royal official's son. Chapter 5. He healed the man who was lame for 38 years. Chapter 6. He multiplied the few loaves and fish and fed 5,000 men plus women and children with plenty left over. Still in chapter 6, he walked on the stormy waters of the Sea of Galilee. Chapter 9, he gave sight to the man born blind. Chapter 11, he raised Lazarus from the dead. Remember in chapter 20, verse 30, John said Jesus performed many other miracles. Then the final words of the gospel, chapter 21, verse 25. But there are also many other things which Jesus did which, if they were written in detail, I expect that even the world itself would not contain the books that would be written. Yes, this gospel was written so that you may believe the truth about Jesus. He is the Messiah. He is God the Son, the one and only Savior. John staked his integrity on this account. In verse 24 of chapter 21, he tells us, this is the disciple who is testifying about these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. So either he and Jesus were out-and-out out liars, or delusioned, or they were telling the truth. There were many non-believing eyewitnesses in the first century, but no one could refute the facts of the four Gospels because they are true. Why the gospel? The gospel is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes. 
God gave us this account through John so that we may believe the truth about Jesus Christ. The next part in answering the question, why this gospel, is the gospel was also written so that, believing this truth, we may have life in Jesus. What life? Here in chapter 20, verse 31, John tells us, By believing in Jesus, you may have life in his name. Back in chapter 3, we read, Everyone who believes in Jesus will have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus told Martha in her grief over her brother's death, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Eternal life is much more than life which goes on forever. Jesus described it succinctly in his prayer in chapter 17. This is eternal life, that they may know you, God the Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This knowing is not just knowing about, but experiencing, having a relationship with God. One man describes his family when he was growing up as not being religious. But, he says, when the high holy days came around, we donned new clothes and walked the mile or so to the local conservative synagogue. Later, he had great success in his medical career. Things were going very well, but there was always the question, Is this all there is? Then an eye ailment threatened his sight and career. Christian patients witnessed to him. While he developed some good ways to silence them, he said he felt surrounded. He explored contacts with local synagogues and also, reluctantly, a church. This through a fellow physician who was raised in Orthodox Judaism but had come to faith in Christ. The first time he and his wife visited the church, he said, It was as though a light had been switched on. I knew that God was exactly what my wife and I had been missing. Not religion, but God. The search and questions continued until they both came to personally know God as they placed their faith in Jesus Christ and received eternal life. We have just noted some statements in John's Gospel about this life, but listen to two more. In chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said, I came so that they would have life and have it abundantly. In chapter 14, verse 6, he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Later, in his first letter, John wrote, The testimony is this that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. The one who has the Son has the life. The one who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. 
there are some implications of this truth. First, there is the need to act. To have this life, you must act. You must move on this truth, must decide to come to God on His terms as your God and Savior. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gracious gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That gift does not come through being in a Christian family, going to a church, going through its ceremonies, or belonging to a church, nor by simply knowing about and agreeing with the truths about God and yourself. The year was 1829. A man named George Wilson was convicted of mail robbery and murder in the United States and was sentenced to death. Later, President Andrew Jackson pardoned him. But Wilson refused the pardon. So the case and question of what to do with a man who refused a pardon wound its way through the courts. Finally, the Supreme Court ruled that a pardon is an act of grace, and that if it be rejected, we have discovered no power in a court to force it upon him. The President issued the pardon. Wilson rejected it. Wilson was hanged. Without acting to receive God's gift of a pardon for our sin, our destiny is everlasting death, that is, everlasting separation from God, bearing the rightful punishment of our sin. But when we act to ask for and receive forgiveness and life from God, the implications and blessings exceed our expectations. The list of specifics is a long one. Note three in these two chapters. First, peace to replace fear. Chapter 20, verse 19, when Jesus appeared to the disciples after his resurrection. Now, when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were together due to fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be to you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be to you. This is life as it was meant to be. Peace replacing fear. Peace is the state of being as we ought to be, as God created us to be. Remember what Jesus said to the disciples as he told them he was going to die, to leave them. Chapter 14. Peace I leave you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled nor fearful. It is part of the abundant life Jesus spoke about earlier. There is a hymn about peace which asks and answers questions. Peace, perfect peace, in this dark world of sin? The blood of Jesus whispers peace within. Peace, perfect peace, 
by thronging duties pressed? To do the will of Jesus, this is rest. Peace, perfect peace, mid suffering's sharpest throes? The sympathy of Jesus breathes repose. Peace, perfect peace, our future all unknown. Jesus we know, and he is on the throne. Peace, perfect peace, death shadowing us and ours? Jesus has vanquished death and all its powers. The blessing of peace to replace fear. Secondly, we now have life with a purpose, with a mission. We go back to the end of verse 21 in chapter 20. Just as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Later, Jesus gets specific with Peter. Chapter 21, picking it up at verse 15. Now when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my lambs. He said to him again, a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Shepherd my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. Truly, truly I tell you, when you were younger, you used to put on your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will put your belt on you and bring you where you do not want to go. Now he said this, indicating by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. And when he had said this, he said to him, Follow me. Discussion of these verses sometimes is focused on the two different words for love used here. That may be overstated because the two words are used interchangeably in John's Gospel. We need to focus on the main point, the challenge Jesus was making to Peter. If Peter truly loved God, he would follow him. Jesus is challenging Peter with the mission he had for him. That was his central point and challenge to Peter. It is also his central point and challenge to us in these verses. He has a mission for us. If we truly love him, we will pick it up. We will follow him in and through it. And we will do so even if it comes at the cost of our lives, as Jesus told Peter it would for him. The blessing of life with a mission, with a purpose. And then also, we receive the blessing of a life that God designs for us, free from comparisons, feelings of jealousy, inferiority, superiority. Continuing on in chapter 21 at verse 20, after Jesus challenged Peter three times, John tells us, 
Peter turned around and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back on his chest at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who is betraying you? So Peter, upon seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, and what about this man? Jesus said to him, If I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Therefore this account went out among the brothers that that disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but only, If I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? Since we know God, have been forgiven and accepted by him, have his peace, have his purpose, his mission for our lives, we are freed from looking around and comparing ourselves with others, free from jealousy, free from feeling inferior or superior to others because God has given each of us his mission for us. Beyond the overall mission Jesus gives to all believers to be his servants, carrying out his work, he gives each of us the specific tasks in our place and time in line with the abilities he gives us for serving him. The feelings of being better than others and the behavior that goes along with it was and is common. Remember the day Jesus told a story of two men praying. One was a respected religious man. He prayed, I thank you, God, that I am not like this other man, as he recited what good things he did and bad things he did not do. Also remember that Jesus introduced the story by saying that it was about people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. That is the problem of looking down on others, not recognizing or forgetting that our righteousness is not in what we have accomplished, but in Jesus and what he has accomplished for us. Then there are those of us who look at others and think, why can't I have the confidence, talents, see the results that they have? Jesus says to us in those times, what is that to you? You follow me. Jesus lovingly, graciously gives you the place and role he has for you. The Holy Spirit gives spiritual abilities and results to you and each other believer as he wishes, as the Apostle Paul tells us. Yes, we receive the blessing of a life that God designs for us, free from comparisons, feelings of jealousy, inferiority, superiority. Why the gospel? God gave us this gospel so we may believe the truth about Jesus, and so we may have life in him. The gospel is God's power of salvation to everyone who believes. What does this mean to us? For some, whatever you know about God, your sinfulness, and God's gift of forgiveness and life, you know that you have never come to him on his terms, admitting your need of him, your sinfulness, and asking him to forgive 
and accept you in Jesus. You see, the gospel which saves from sin and death and brings eternal life begins with sovereign, holy God. Because he is holy, he cannot accept anyone who is not holy and must judge all sin to maintain his holiness. Then coming to God on his terms includes knowing ourselves for who we are. All of us, each one of us are sinners unable to save ourselves and so rightly headed for everlasting punishment for our sin. It then moves on to Jesus Christ, God the Son, God's provision to deal with our sin. The one who paid for, atoned for sin by his death and resurrection. Built on this, your response is critical. God saves you by his grace when you place your faith in Jesus Christ. It is then that you receive life, a relationship forever with God. This is the true gospel, which you must not only know about, but choose to trust in to be a true believer. Isn't it time to do that now? You can contact us if you have questions or discuss those questions with a believer that you know. For others, you know Jesus as your Savior and are thankful for the real, abundant life He has given you. Question. What are you doing with the gospel, the good news of Jesus, which is the power of God for salvation? Luigi Terricio was an Italian violin dealer and collector, but many of the violins he collected were never played while he owned them. When he died in 1854, family and others found 246 exquisite violins, including many Italian masterpieces. The most famous, now known as the Messiah, was a Stradivarius made in 1716. It got that name because Teresio described but never displayed this marvelous violin. As he was talking about it to one violinist, the violinist said, Then your violin is like the Messiah. One always expects him, but he never appears. And so it got its name. It was only played a few times. The violin changed hands a number of times over the years after Teresio's death. In 1939, it was donated to a museum at Oxford with the condition that it not be played. It actually has been played at least once after it was donated by a well-known violinist in 1941. So, while it has a beautiful sound and may be worth $20 million or more, it has been silent for the last 82 years and most of its 307 years of existence. It certainly has not fulfilled its purpose, has not been used for the purpose which Antonio Stradivari made it. It is amazing that Christ died for us. It is wonderful to know that God and only God brings full forgiveness, life, meaning, and satisfaction to our lives. It is exciting 
to experience his blessings and answers to our prayers. So, how can we live like Luigi Tericio and that great violin being silent, withholding the gospel, God's power for salvation for the many around us who need to hear it? If you have never acted on the good news wrapped up in Jesus, do that now. If you have, thank God for his amazing love and grace. Determine not to be silent, but to let the gospel resonate to everyone. Bow with me in prayer. God, our loving, gracious, merciful Father, thank you for loving us to the extent of sending God the Son into the world as one of us to provide for our greatest, deepest need, forgiveness of our sins and life forever with you. Thank you for making us new creations in Christ, blessing us with life as you designed it to be, and continuing to work in and through us. Forgive us for times when we have not carried out your mission for us by being silent instead of vocal witnesses. Encourage us. Give us clear vision of the people around us and their need for you. We pray in the name of our blessed Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Amen.